Okay, uh, tonight is February 2nd. We are covering John 6. The uh, title is The Bread of Life. Uh, those that are following this by CDs, John 6 and John 5 go together for a lot of reasons, but one is the death to life principle really, really is carried out in John 6 in the same way it was John 5. When I said that there was a consistent theme of Jesus coming into the world to bring the world life because the world was under the power of death, you really see that everywhere we go in John. But we're, one of the ways that he's going to teach about this in John 6 is through the means of food. This is the single most misinterpreted passage by quote-unquote Christian denominations that there is. There has been more blood spilt over this issue than any other Christian issue that you can think of. Whether we're talking about the War of the Roses or Bloody Mary or whatever major conflict that has occurred in Christendom, this is usually the central issue. One guy says that when you take the Eucharist or the communion or whatever you decide to call this, you're eating Jesus' body like a cannibal, except that's not how they explain it. Another says, no, it simply commemorates an event. All of those arguments center right around John 6 and a misunderstanding of this scripture. Well, our theme in here, it has always been our theme, we interpret scripture in light of scripture. And the first place that you would like to look if you want to know what John means when he says something is within the book of John, then within the other writings of John, then within the whole Bible. Does that make sense? So when we study food or when we study this passage and you see that it deals around food, it's just important to remember how John's been teaching about food. And then it makes perfect sense. And just for those of us that are kind of slow, Jesus goes ahead and says, after all the teaching's over, exactly what he meant. <laughs> you know, it's really not all that hard unless you're steeped in Romanism and want to extort people by making them come to your church to eat a Jesus pill then this is pretty difficult to understand. Are we all in John 6, verse 25? I've just alienated one billion people in the world at the beginning of the message. I'm not doing very good, huh? All right, John 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Does anybody remember what's happened? Remember, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. He sent his disciples out. They're straining at the oars all night. He comes out walking on the water. Peter gets out. They have that whole episode. Then Jesus gets into the boat, and they're immediately on the other side. Well, because this happened in the middle of the night, all the people didn't see him go from one side of the lake to the other. Okay? So they're, they're saying, hey, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. What's he talking about? They, they just got fed. He fed more than 5,000 men. Not, not to mention the women, not to mention the kids. He just fed them. Now, what do you know from our last message, though? Was that about food? Was he just trying to feed them? No, he asked a question to his disciples to teach them. They didn't understand it, and they got to repeat the lesson out on the lake. He was trying to teach the people that he was the source for life, the source for everything. The food was just a byproduct. It was just one way to teach. But the people saw that, and uh, they're following him around. He says, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, I'm going to throw in some sporadic thoughts as we go, and that's you're just going to have to try to keep up. I'm sorry if it makes more sense to me than it does you. Eventually, hopefully, through repetition, this will, this will set in on you. But he said, do not work for food that spoils. Now, without getting into a long scientific debate with anyone, is there anybody here that, uh, that honestly believes that a Eucharist wafer, once blessed by a priest, does not decay, or that the wine will not go bad. Is there anybody here that believes that? That it won't mold if you leave it out for a month? Or that the wine won't go bad if you leave it out for a month? Jesus said, don't work for food that spoils. Don't work for natural food, guys. All food spoils if you leave it out. There's not a thing in the world that has a shelf life of a thousand years. Not, I mean, not even peanut butter, okay? Everything spoils. 
he's going to lay a contrast here that will last for the whole chapter between a natural food and a spiritual food. And he's going to tell you what you should work for as opposed to what they're working for. Why did he say they were following him? You want to eat. So I'm telling you, don't work for regular food. There is something that is better than that. And before we get too far in this, hold your finger in John 6. Since we interpret Scripture in light of Scripture, where's the only other place in the entire book of John thus far that Jesus has even mentioned food? Oh, your minds are working. Get out your concordances. No. Hmm? One in five, but we're already in six. He fed 5,000. Where's the only other place? Before. All right, I can see I've stumped you. The woman at the well. You remember, the disciples went into town to buy food. He talks to the woman. And in John 4, look in the 30s. John 4, verse 30. This is after he speaks with the woman at the well. It says, They came out of town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, you can say, oh, wow, Jesus, you know, he hit a ham sandwich in his back pocket and they didn't know it, right? <laughs> then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus. Yeah, not ham. That's a great point. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Then he goes on to teach about the harvest. What did Jesus say his food was? To do the will of the Father. Now, they were talking about a natural food. What was Jesus talking about? Something spiritual. What is food? Food is that very thing which gives you life that you take each day to stay alive to be doing something. Jesus said, the very thing that keeps me alive, what drives me, what fuels me, what empowers me, is to finish the work that the Father gave me. That's like food to me, guys. So then when we get to John 6, and he feeds 5,000 people, and he says, but the point here is not really to feed them. I was trying to test you. You remember? That's what our whole last message was about. And they didn't get it. And Mark says they didn't get the message of the fishes and the loaves. So he taught them while on the boat. Okay? Strain at the oars. They're not getting anything done and they have to let Jesus in the boat and ask for His help and then they get to the other side. Same message. You have to live. You have to strain for me if you want to get anything accomplished in life. That's the message. So now, here we are in John 6. Your title's the bread of life. He sees the people and says, Hey, you're coming just for the natural food, guys. I'm telling you to work for something that won't spoil. Don't think he's talking about a Eucharist. Eucharist would spoil. I always wondered too, if a mouse ate it. Well, anyway, we'll cover that some other time. Verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. What is the seal of approval? Ephesians tells you. It says God placed His seal on you as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, His promised Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, hey man, God has placed His seal of approval on me. In this book, how did not John the writer, but John the Baptist know who he was supposed to announce as the coming Messiah? It's the one on whom he saw the Spirit descend and remain. John, also, John the writer makes the comment, he is the one who was given the Spirit without measure. All of these things, the reason that they were supposed to look to Jesus the reason that they were supposed to understand who he was was this guy was operating with the Holy Spirit to the extent that everything he did, everything that he said, was a direct reflection of God's will. Okay? And Jesus said, that's what sustains me. That's my food, is to do the work of the Father. They asked him, what must we, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. Boy, doesn't that sound simple? What do we need to do? Oh, we'll believe in the one He sent. When we say believe in the one He sent, I mean, when, if I say, Bobby, all you need to do is believe the one He sent, you're like, well, okay, Jesus is a cool guy, I believe you. 
When the Bible speaks of believing, it is incumbent upon the believer to act as if you believe. Not simply an intellectual acknowledgement. This is the difference between Jewish thought and Greek thought. Greek thought says, oh, wow, yeah, that's wise. Hey, I, I believe it. Jewish thought looks for function. says, I believe it, so I am doing it. And when the Bible says believe on him, this is cleared up later in the rest of John's writings. How, how in John's epistles later does John describe this very thing? Anyone who believes the Son will walk as He walked. Anyone who loves the Son must walk as He walked. On it, Always belief is equated with action. Always in John's writings. But in any case, Jesus said, believe on the one He has sent. I love to, to talk with people that say, oh, well, Jesus was only a prophet. You know? Uh, that's what a Muslim will tell you. Jesus was a prophet. Well, then believe the prophet. What did He say? He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth of life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. Said many have come before me and they were liars. They were thieves. You know? Some will come after me. Don't go out to them. Wait until you see me split the skies. Anyway. Okay. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What gall, huh? What reason did he give for him not to believe? I mean, what has Jesus done so far that would give you any impression? that everything that he said wasn't true. I mean, we've turned water into wine. We've raised a royal official's son uh, off of his sick bed without even being there. We fed 5,000 people. We've walked on the water. We've healed all of the sick and paralyzed that came. We healed one guy at the entrance to the sheep gate for everybody to see. Why wouldn't you believe him? You know, a lot of times in our lives, and I promise I'll get back into transubstantiation, but we're asking, Lord, what are you going to do to show me that you're with me here? Why would you think he wasn't with you? His word says he is. Why are we always looking for one more? Lord, if you just prove it to me one more way. How many times has he already proved it to you? What reason did he give you to doubt him? Why, why on earth would you think, well, he was with me these last nine years. You know, he delivered me all of these ways, but now I need him to show me again. Why? Why are we so fickle? Okay, so they were fickle. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're kind of fixated on getting their bellies filled again, aren't they? You know? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Okay, what did Moses give them? Manna. Now, manna was a wonderful spiritual thing that means... What is it? Okay, it's like coriander seed on the ground, but when they gathered it up, they could make it into cakes and they could eat it. And uh, some said it tastes like honey in their mouths. Now, a beautiful thing about it is if you kept it too long, it turned into worms, the Bible said, especially if you took it the, uh, on the Sabbath. Now, there's a whole spiritual principle in manna that we could teach on, and I do teach on, and I will teach on, but it's not necessary that you understand any of it to get this right. This is not this complicated. They said, hey, what are you going to do to make us believe you? Moses gave us some food. It's lunchtime. He said, hey, it's not Moses that gave you food. It's my father who gave you true bread. Moses was the visible representation for them of this food that they got in their daily allotment. And he's telling them, guys, I'm trying to tell you there's a different kind of food you need. You don't need your bellies filled. My Father will give you true bread. Now, he's still talking about bread, but one was something that they literally ate and another's not. And we're going to keep going with that theme. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, here's this life theme. From the beginning of John, we have seen the life that entered the world that was like light and entered the darkness. This is a theme that has gone on in every chapter since then. It's just most evident in 5 and 6. That's why I taught on it, from death to life. And you know the whole scenario. It's because the world was covered in death and life was entered. Now Jesus is saying... You have to eat to live. All of you get that, obviously. You're trying to get a meal out of me right now. 
I'm trying to get you to work for something else that will bring you life that's a different kind of food. What has John already taught us previously was Jesus' food to do the will of God. I mean, that's, that's what he's already taught. The groundwork's already laid. Now, if you literally take this, people say, do you take the Bible literally or figuratively? Well, do you take me literally or figuratively when we talk? Hey, man, that's cool. Well, that's obviously an expression. He didn't mean it was lacking radiant heat, you know? How smart do you have to be that when it says this bread, I'm sorry, for the bread of the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world to know that Jesus was not waiting for them to slice Him up into a hundred pieces and make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches out of Him. Does that really take a rocket scientist? This is one of the most obvious allegories or metaphors or similes or whatever you educated people know that this is in the world. The only reason this has been so misunderstood for so long is there is a worldwide organization that has a vested interest in you believing something that's not true because it makes you dependent on them. Now, you think back in your family's history, just your family. Most of you have some roots in the South and most of you have some roots in Louisiana. In your family's history, do you not know anybody that was denied the sacraments and it ruined their life? I can think of four or five in my family off the top of my head. What power that gave an institution. You are effectively excommunicated because I will not give you Jesus by way of this little cracker. How ridiculous. It's a pretty good way to extort people though, isn't it? All kind of wicked things came out of the Middle Ages. The church did not do well from 400 to 1500. And all you have to do is pick up a Western civilization book to figure that out. Now, you say, I can't believe you would say that. And how could you be so hard on the... And they do so much. Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit. Friends, look at what the world calls the dark ages. And it was the ages that the Roman church had a monopoly on the planet. Now, if the world calls it the dark ages, and they don't have eyes to see, how much more should we with eyes to see know something's awry here? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to be a spiritual genius to figure that out. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Oh, there's bread that gives life. Oh, man, that's great. I want it. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Now, every time that He's been talking about food thus far, He's been talking about the will of God and the Word of God. Incidentally, how does John open you know, you think the guy just sat down and penned this letter and he did as led by the Holy Spirit because if he had thought it out, it's too complex for a human being to do. But how does the book of John open? In, uh, let me turn there. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then he goes on to say that this Word became flesh. Right? Now Jesus is calling Himself... I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Is there a human being here with any reasonable level of intelligence that believes that Jesus is talking about simply feeding these people? The whole discourse that He has had, He's already fed them once. He's already shown them He can do that. Now, as a teaching example, He is telling them point blank, you're following me around for natural food, there is another kind of food you need to know about. Something that will satisfy you in a way that food never could. Something that will satisfy you in a way that drink never could. Something that you will work for and when you get, you will never die. And he goes on to talk about raising people up at the last day. Where, where have you heard that before? How about John 5? When he said that those that would hear the Son of Man's voice would rise to live. I mean, all of John 5 is about this. The man has presented himself as life 
from death and they keep asking him about food. So he's going to play on that desire. All we want is food and say, what you should be wanting is me. I really am real food. I'm the kind of food you should be craving. And for centuries, people have thought, oh, we're literally supposed to cut him up and eat him. How absurd. Okay. Pick back up in 36. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Boy, I tell you, do you think the apostles, while they were out on that boat, out on the water, straining at the oars, a little upset because Jesus made them get in the boat, felt a little bit like Jesus was driving them away? I felt like that before in my life. You can be chastised by God to the point where you feel like you're being beaten by Him. He said, if you come to Him, He will never drive you away. The difference between the world that was out there at uh, John 6 feeding of 5,000 being dismissed and the disciples being thrown in the boat is God shies away from those that hearts are proud and lofty. But when there is somebody who is drawn towards Him, that comes to Him, He doesn't ever push you away. He'll discipline you, but He never pushes you away. Every bit of discipline you have is for the purpose of knowing Him better. That's what Christians endure. That's still off subject though. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. What did John 4.32 say Jesus' food was? To do the will of Him who sent Him. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, friends, I don't mean that this is mathematically precise, but to me, this is just as plain as it gets, an equation between eternal life and being raised up at the last day. We have been conditioned to believe that eternal life takes place somewhere else, in some other setting, some mythical fairy book kind of thing. But if you follow John from the beginning, that the world has been overcome with death, God is now introducing the source of life for all who will take it. What is an eternal life? It's a life that doesn't end. And he's telling you that if you are raised up at the last day, that is eternal life. So what is the goal and the focus of the whole Bible? It's to solve the death problem by raising people up at the last day in bodies that don't die. And that couldn't get any clearer when you read a chapter like Corinthians 15. And yet, the same people that have misunderstood whether or not we're going to eat Jesus have propagated this idea that the Protestant church has never gotten away from either. It's infected everybody. That the goal of Christianity is to die and go to heaven. You never find any such thing come out of Jesus' mouth. Take your Bible concordance out one day and look for the phrase, die and go to heaven. It's not there. Now, I'm not telling you that you cannot go to heaven if you die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Those that have fallen asleep in Christ go to be with the Lord until the last day when they return and their bodies raise. But this was never the focus of the gospel. And you don't find it anywhere in the gospel when you read. We need to reform our thinking. We need to reject ideas that were given us that are wrong. Jesus is talking about raising people up at the last day. Verse 41. At this the Jews began to grumble about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. <laughs> they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How could He now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know, he says this so many times in this verse, it's almost like hearing a politician give a speech. You remember Al Gore talked about the lockbox, you know, and he talked about the lockbox so much it became comical. They said he's on target. Jesus is equating eternal life with being raised up at the last day over and over and over. And what are they fixated on? getting their bellies fed, and wait a minute, how can he say he's a loaf of bread that came down from heaven? Now, nobody thought he was a loaf of bread here. They're upset that he said he came down from heaven and they knew who his father was. So how could that be? 
Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That is a really important point for you Christians to know. The Word declares to us that God desires that all men be saved and that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Son shall be saved. But you cannot know who Jesus is. You cannot call on Jesus and you cannot be saved unless the Spirit of God draw you in some way. So, well, why on earth is that important? Well, Jesus tells us that the Spirit is there convicting the world of sin and magnifying the sense of judgment to people. That's evident everywhere you go. It determines much of human behavior. That's supposed to draw people to Jesus. But I'll tell you something. You can get to a place where His Spirit will not draw you. You This is why you can't go up with any confidence without Jesus speaking to you in some way and tell everybody, you know, you're going to be saved. All you need to do is repeat after me. Or Jesus loves you. You know, if you are not aware of where they are at in this drawing process, they may not be able to be saved. What a scary thought, huh? Now, I'm talking about extreme circumstances, obviously, but when you've got some guy who's pulling the toenails off of his kids and beating his wife and has got 14 people buried under his house, I'm not sure the Spirit is drawing him. Is it possible? Well, sure, it could be possible. But I wouldn't say it's a foregone conclusion. You know, the Bible speaks of God hating the wicked. You know what's really significant about him saying this here, though? Most of the crowd is not understanding what he's saying. Most. And he said, you can't be saved unless the Spirit draws you anyway. In other words, he's realizing that most people that are hearing are not feeling this drawing towards him. They're there because they want to see something, they want food, they want something else, but not because their hearts are cut to the core, they realize they need his help and want it. And so he's telling right up front, nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's how he looks at a a Pharisee later, by the way, and says, you don't accept my Father because you don't accept me. You don't accept me because you don't accept my Father. Your Father's the devil. You know, the Spirit of God was not drawing. They weren't looking to the Father. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. Another pretty important verse theologically. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Now, another noteworthy point here as we go through this. Jesus has said several times, and He will say several times more, if you believe, you have everlasting life. If you look to the Son, you have everlasting life. And what is everlasting life? Being raised up at the last day. And He also keeps repeating that He is the bread of life. So why do we jump to the conclusion, though, towards the end of this passage, that you have to eat Jesus to have life, when all we have talked about for three quarters of the passage is believing in Him, looking towards Him. Because it's a whole lot easier to eat a wafer than it is to believe and do what He said to do. I wish having Jesus' presence in our worship service was as easy as praying over a Ritz cracker and putting it in a box and saying that this is the presence of Christ among us. I wish it was that easy. Because then all we would have to do for everywhere we wanted Jesus' presence is pray over some food. Guys, it does not work that way. You do not have a pedophile priest praying over something and Jesus blessing that and that being Jesus in the presence. It doesn't work that way. How do I know it doesn't work that way? I can look at the, the fruit. And I don't say that to say all priests are pedophiles. I am certain that there are some priests out there that would stand toe-to-toe with us and endure persecution because their hearts are right even if their doctrine is not. But guys, what in, in the last 10 or 20 years, what is that church best known for? And are we to really believe that they are the only ones that hold the body of Christ? I may have told you this before, but the Protestants are the ones that started the term hocus-pocus. 
And Hocus Pocus has its origins in making fun of the Latin Mass because the words that the priest would speak over the Latin Mass when the transubstantiation was supposed to occur sounded like Hocus Pocus. And that's made it all the way down into our time with when we say Hocus Pocus, we mean some kind of magical trick. You know? Now, this is not something that's always been understood because it's spiritually discerned. And the spiritual truths of God are not easily grasped always by the logical mind. And that's just true. doesn't mean they're absolutely not grasped or that there's no logic in them. But even guys like Martin Luther said, you know, I don't know how it is, but it must be in some kind of way flesh because he misunderstands what Jesus says here. But he knew it didn't taste like flesh. You know, he, he knew in his mind that it wasn't flesh, but he, he couldn't reconcile these statements. It's really not hard, though, if you look at Scripture in light of Scripture. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. They ate regular food, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat of and not die. Now, previously to this, all Jesus had been talking about, all through John 5, all through John 6, is believe in Him. Hear His word and you wouldn't die. Now He's been calling Himself bread and saying, you guys want to eat natural bread? You need to eat of this bread that I'll give you and you won't die. Is it, is it that strange of a jump to go from believing to this analogy about eating? Especially if it's the Word of God. To eat, to consume the Word of God. To treat... Jesus teaching just like you would daily food. Father, this day, give us our daily bread. When Jesus said that, give us this day our daily bread, do you honestly believe that he was expecting for three loaves to fall out of the sky that moment? Do you think he was really just talking about natural substance or sustenance? I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Why did they react that way? Jesus said something so over the top that it just, I mean, Jews couldn't eat the flesh of a human being. It was against their law. You couldn't even touch a dead person. They sure couldn't... You, you know how hung up Jews were on issues of blood? And Jesus is going to go one further. So I don't want you to just eat my flesh. You bunch of religious blind people who the Father's not drawing. I want you to drink my blood. How about that? And they don't understand and even his disciples want to turn away. And Jesus explains himself. But you've got to give him enough time to explain himself. You can't take one of these scriptures as a standalone and ignore everything else. You remember before we started this message tonight, I was talking to you about having open access to all the sermons that we've ever done here. I just have one request. If you take them all in digital format, that you don't abridge them. That if I make a statement that says, Jesus was not raised from the dead, if in fact the dead aren't raised, that you don't just take the first part of that to make me say something that I didn't. Well, if you just take, eat my flesh, it's real food, you have made Jesus say something that his teaching does not say. It is a statement for emphasis and specifically to do exactly what just happened. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Back to this principle of Jesus is the life or light of the world and He came and He shone in the darkness and the darkness didn't understand it. Here's an example of them not understanding it. It's talking about Him, His teaching, Him doing the will of God, being the very source of life and them not being willing to receive it. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Let's suppose for a minute that you are literally supposed to hack off Jesus' hand on it like a dog. And then uh, you take a cup and you, uh, you, you're downing his blood. And that is the way that you were saved and that you are raised up at the last day. There's a real problem with that. Number one, it was never done. Not at any time. Jesus did the Last Supper, okay, 
He did the Last Supper before He went to the cross. When He raised a cup and said, this is My blood, He had not been to the cross. We cannot have a repetitive sacrifice before there was a sacrifice. Okay, that's, that's the single biggest problem I can think of with it. Number one, this was never done. If they had understood Him to literally want them to gnaw on Him like a chicken bone, nobody did it. Ever. Number two, it was absolutely against the law. And our word says that Jesus did not break their law. But anyway, let's keep going. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Feeds on me. Now you could really have a pack mentality, huh? We could have, we could have like dogs all ripping and tearing at Jesus here, huh? They're all feeding on Him. But that wasn't done. Isn't it more reasonable to think that He meant something else? When Jesus stands up and says, Hey, I'm the door. I'm the gate. You can't enter the sheep pen except through me. Do you expect to find a doorknob in His chest? Did you expect to find hinges down the left side of His body? Why? Because He was obviously talking about something else, right? Something that they should have understood. He's been talking about believing on Him, not working for natural food, working for a spiritual food. What was Jesus' food? What did He say His food was? To do God's will. What does the Bible declare Jesus' flesh literally was? The Word of God. I mean, he, he was the Word of God materialized. And now he's talking about, guys, you need to learn to do what I do. I live for food that is the will of God, and I want you to as well. You're following me around because you want me to fill your stomachs. You need to feed on me the Word of God, what I'm teaching. You need to live for it. Just as the living Father has sent me and I live... Because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Again, natural food versus spiritual food. They ate manna and they died. I'm talking about eating something and living forever. If he literally meant to eat his body and they had done it, which they did not do, they should not have died. They also, this bread and wine, would never see decay. Let's put that one to the scientific test. Why don't you? I invite any priest out there anywhere to bless the Eucharist. Let's put it under a heat lamp for a few days and see how well it does. I understand how this could be misunderstood thus far. And if all we had in John was the previous ten verses, I would be as confused as everybody else. But thank God we don't. Thank God we have the whole Word of God. Most problems that occur in the Word come from abridged readings. Friends, you could read Song of Songs and come away with some perverted ideas if you only read parts of it. You know, you could read Ecclesiastes and go start a cult if all you do is read parts of it. The Word was never meant to be taken in little segments. This is a letter. John wrote a letter that he intended for you to read from beginning to end. And it would be wrong to take any one part of it without reading the rest. Well, let's see what he says. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Did you blame them? This is... I mean, Peter has such a problem eating things that later God has to show him a vision some 20 years after the cross just to get him to go into a Gentile's house. Y'all remember Peter went up on a roof? He saw a vision. What did the vision show him? showed a sheet being let down from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals in it and the voice said, kill, eat. Then said, kill, eat. He said, no, Lord, I have never, never done that. And he said, how dare you call something unclean that I've called clean? Then what did Peter do? He went on a wild safari hunt in Africa and killed an alligator and ate it, right? Now, what did Peter do? He concluded from that vision that God was telling him men were not unclean. And he went to Cornelius' house. So did God teach Peter by using food? He used food and everyday thing to teach him that all men were clean. 
Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's using food, an everyday principle, something that everybody uses to teach something. You're working and you're craving for something to keep your flesh alive. And you have to eat it again and again and again and you are never satisfied. I can give you something that will satisfy you to the uttermost and it will make you live forever. On hearing this, many of His disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that His disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? You almost have the idea that He intended for it to offend them. He certainly did intend for it to offend some. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? The Spirit gives life. Get this. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. What on earth could He mean? Is it possible that He could mean exactly what He said? My flesh, flesh period, counts for nothing. What I'm saying to you is a spiritual thing. Spirit gives life. Not that you have to eat something, but that you have to understand this spiritual principle. Did he tell somebody, somebody who had never taken the communion or Eucharist or anything else in their life that they would be with him today in paradise? Who did he tell that? I'm forgetting. Oh, yeah, a thief on the cross. So that thief, right before they put him in the grave, he ran down and he cut off a toe or something, right? <laughs> It is not necessary to eat anything. In fact, don't you see statements over and over in the Word that say the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink. Wow, y'all read that. See, you have to ignore the greater majority of the Scripture to accept error. Error always takes something minor and magnifies it to something major. But the Word of God will always bring it into perspective in and of itself. Jesus explains this. He said... The words that speak to you are spirit. The flesh counts for nothing. But in case you still don't get it, thank God for Peter who's like me and was a little slow. Watch what happens. I'm going to read that again though. Verse 63. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and would betray Him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Before we get to this next statement, Jesus has said something that is horribly hard in the natural. It is meant to turn people away. And it takes a spiritual ear, a spiritual eye to understand this. Most, many of the disciples turned away at this point. They turned away because this was spiritually discerned. But watch those that understood what He said. Jesus says, uh, You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that You are the Holy One of God. Why did Simon the first pope, if you will, not turn to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, where would we go? You have the only food that we can eat and be saved. He didn't. He understood exactly. Once Jesus had said, the flesh counts for nothing, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Then Peter understood perfectly. Jesus, you have the very words that we will consume and it will cause us to have eternal life. Does that make sense to you? That's Scripture in light of Scripture. That's looking at the whole picture, not selecting a single verse to hang your hat on. By the way, when Jesus says things like, you need life in you, life in you, the principle of life in you, if you don't eat me, you don't drink me, you don't have life in you, how did Peter understand that? You have the words of eternal life. I'm sorry. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. How did Peter think you were supposed to get that life in you? By accepting his word in you. Now go back and look at the parable of the sower. Go back and look at all of these other scriptures that say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Or, or Romans, you know, if you believe in your heart. And all of these things. And it makes perfect sense. He's talking about living for his word. Isn't that what Jesus did? 
Isn't that what John 4 says Jesus did? My food, what I live for, what sustains me is to do the work of the Father, to complete His work, to do His will. Now He's telling the people the same thing about Him. And some ignorant men without the Spirit have misunderstood this and led billions astray. Can you believe that there was a time period in history where somebody would walk in here and say, Mandy, do you believe that this is literally Jesus' flesh? No. Oh, sorry, we're going to convert you. Kill you? And then 10, 20 years later, we could have a Protestant come to power and say, Hey, David, do you believe this is the flesh or not? David says, Well, uh, yeah, yeah, I believe it's the flesh. Oops, sorry, wrong answer. We're going to kill you? That happened. That happened on a worldwide level. Do you think Jesus intended any of that from these statements? What men have done with His Word, huh? The key to this whole thing is verse 63. The Spirit gives life. How do you get life? His Spirit. What's the seal of approval? His Spirit. What's the deposit guaranteeing what is to come? The Spirit. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are Spirit. You want God's Spirit in you, you start to accept His Word. You start to dwell in His Word. And that is life to you. In fact, it will be eternal life. In John 5, flip back to John 5. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life and will not be condemned. Believes My words. He will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You know, for, for that teaching to be true, this one in John 6 couldn't be true. They would be in direct opposition to each other if in addition to hearing, you also had to go and eat him. Now, I taught on this one time in Lafayette where this was a real problem and I think I gave 37 reasons transubstantiation wasn't true. Since I don't think there's really anybody in here that last week when we took communion, um, you know, went out and tested the wine for blood type to see whether you had Jesus' DNA or not, I, I really don't think we have to do that but it is important, this principle, that you get in you when you are reading the Word. Yes, you apply logic to it. Yes, you apply reason and understanding. But ultimately, the things that Jesus said were for a spiritual impact. And they're spiritually discerned. Peter understood this. There are a lot of things they don't understand. There are a lot of things they didn't get. But Peter understood it and he repeats it correctly. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, I have, not have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. Then in parentheses you see, He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. You know what's funny about that? And I don't want to get too far off subject, but we're going to close here. That's in parentheses. John's telling you that's what he meant. You know what Jesus didn't do? here's Peter God love him Lord where would we go you have the very words of eternal life yeah well uh, have I not chosen you but one of you is the devil what would you think if you were Peter you know Jesus seems to go out of his way at times to not give Peter the reassurance that he needs to not cater to Peter's insecurity. In fact, it almost looks like Jesus created the insecurity. Because what is Peter destined for? He plays a role here. He's sifted like wheat and his faith fails that he could be restored. An object of grace. Now, that's another teaching that we're going to get to when we get closer to the crucifixion. But if you don't understand anything else, I hope what you understand from this is exactly what Jesus meant. Our lives are not about the food we eat. In fact, we are supposed to live for the Word of God as if it were our next meal. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And that when you receive His Word, it's life-giving to your spirit in the same way that food is life-giving to your flesh. This is not hard. And for those people that want to slam their fist down on the table and take issue with you and say, well, He said His flesh 
was real food. And we can point to a thousand scriptures like that in the Bible. He also said he was a gate. You know? There's a lot of things like that in the Bible. And those expressions are everywhere. The Bible also says God has feathers. Do you expect to find feathers on God? No, it's imagery. You know? So why we get so... Yeah. One of the names of God literally translated means the multi-breasted one. Do you really expect to find that? Now, these were images to teach the people. And one of the things that I love the most about Jesus, and I say this a lot, an awful lot, is he used the most common everyday things so that it could not possibly be understood if you simply had the right kind of heart. But if you were looking for something that he said to disqualify him, to discredit him, he said, the prophet Isaiah said about you people, you have ears but you can't hear. You have eyes but you can't see. You're given a spirit of stupor so that you won't believe. It was God's will that he hide his truth from people with the wrong heart. And this is a great example of that happening. But somebody else sitting out there, maybe not as smart, maybe not as brilliant or whatever else, but with the right heart, understood exactly what he meant. Isn't that great about God? Two people can sit in the same sermon and be anointed and one walk away angry and sullen and the other be broken to the core. Why is that? God's worked it out that way. He didn't make the one hard, but the same word hits two people and there's different reactions. It's meant to move you one way or the other and it ultimately reveals their heart. Even if you do misunderstand, say, Jesus is advocating cannibalism. Can you believe that? As we go a little further and you see Him raise the dead, pick up the uh, blind, when you see those things, wouldn't you have to scratch your head and say, how could a cannibal do that? You know, I mean, wouldn't you have to do that? Wouldn't you have to reevaluate if maybe that wasn't what he meant? That's why Jesus is later going to get to the point where he says, if you don't believe me, at least believe the things that you see me do. You know? Which was right up the Jews' alley. If what I'm saying doesn't make logical sense to you people, at least look at what I am doing. You remember John the Baptist doubted? You remember that? What did Jesus say? Go back and tell him what you see me doing. Even if you misunderstand what Jesus says here, you can look and see what he does later and know that that was... Because honestly, honestly, the crowd here did not have the understanding that he was talking about a Eucharist and you had eaten Jesus pill through the Dark Ages. They thought he was literally talking, those that misunderstood this, about eating his flesh right there and drinking his blood. And they said, how could this be? That was abhorrent to a Jew and it was supposed to be because that's obviously not what he was really talking about. It's just us theologians that, you know, I don't know how it's true, but it's just got to be true. Uh, I don't believe that. All right, we're going to close here. Uh, next, next, what we go to uh, is John 7. John 7, we get to a feast that is awesome, and we have some real disagreement between Jesus and his natural brothers. Same people who believe that you're supposed to eat Jesus don't think he had natural brothers or sisters, but I've already shown you for weeks in the Scripture where they appear multiple times. Incidentally, Peter had a mother too. You knew he had a mother. Mother Mother-in-law, which means he had a wife. All right, stand up. Let's pray.